Chapter Six of Slave Planet by Lawrence M. Janifer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The party had meant nothing, nothing at all, and Albin told himself he could forget all about it. If Hanlingen wanted to take any action, he insisted, she'd take it against her own division. The psych people would get most of it. Why, she probably didn't even know who Albin Sender was. But the psych division knew a lot they weren't supposed to know. Maybe she would even... Forget about it, Albin told himself. He closed his eyes for a second and concentrated on his work. That, at least, was something to keep him from worrying. The whole process of training was something he could use in forgetting all about the party and Hanlingen and possible consequences. He took a few breaths and forced his mind away from all of that, back to the training. Training was a dreary waste of time, as a matter of fact, except that it happened to be necessary. There was no doubt of that. Without sufficient manual labor, the metal would not be dug, the smelters would not run, the purifying stages and the cooling stages, and even the shipping itself would simply stop. Automation would have solved everything, but automation was expensive. The Alberts were cheap. So, Freuling's world used Alberts instead of transistors and cryogenic relays. And if you were going to use Alberts at all, Alban thought, you sure as hell had to train them. God alone knew what harm they could do left alone in a wilderness of delicate machinery without any instructions. All the same, Dreary was the word for it. An image of Dr. Hanlingen's frozen face floated into his mind. He pushed it away. It was morning. It was time for work. He met Durbin at the turn in the corridor, perhaps fifty feet before the Albert's door. That wasn't strictly according to the rules, and Albin knew it. He had learned the code as early as anyone else. But the rules were for emergencies and emergencies didn't happen anymore. The Alberts weren't about to revolt. He was carrying his Belbus beam, of course. The little metal tube didn't look like much, but it was guaranteed to stop anything short of a spaceship in its tracks, and by the very simple method of making holes. The Belbus beam would make holes in nearly anything, Alberts, people, or most materials. It projected a quarter-inch beam of force in as near a straight line as Einsteinian physics would allow, and it was extremely efficient. Alban had been practicing with it for three years, twice a week. Everybody did. Not that there's ever been a chance to use it. And there wasn't going to be a chance, Alban decided. He exchanged a word or two absently with Durbin, and they went to the door together. Albin reached for the door, but Durbin's big brown hand was already on it. He grinned and swung the door open. Air conditioning had done something to minimize the reek inside, but not much. Albin devoted most of his attention to keeping his face a complete mask. The last thing he wanted was to retch. Not in front of the Alberts, who really didn't exist for him, but in front of Durbin. And the party, which he wasn't going to think about, hadn't left his stomach in perfect shape. The Alberts, seeing these masters enter, stirred and rose. Albin barked at them in a voice that was only very slightly choked. Form a line, 
Form a line. The Alberts milled around, quite obviously uncertain what a line was. Alban gripped his beam tighter, not because it was a weapon, but just because he needed something handy to take out his anger on. Damn it, he said tightly. A line. Form a straight line. It's only their second day, Durbin said in a low voice. Give them time. Alban could barely hear him over the confused babble of the Alberts. He shook his head and felt a new stab of anger. One behind the other, he told the milling crowd. A line, a straight line. After a little more confusion, Alban was satisfied. He sighed heavily and beckoned with his beam. The Alberts started forward, through the door and out into the corridor. Alban went before, Durbin behind, falling naturally into step. They came to the great elevator, and Alban pushed a stud. The door slid open. The Alberts, though, didn't want to go in. They huddled, looking at the elevator with big, round eyes, muttering to themselves and to each other. Durbin spoke up calmly. This is the same room you were in yesterday. It won't hurt you. Just go through the door. It's all right. But the words had very little effect. A few of the Alberts moved closer, and then, discovering that they were alone, hurriedly moved back again. The elevator door remained open, waiting. Alban, ready to shriek with rage by now, felt a touch at his arm. One of the Alberts was standing near him, looking up. Its eye blinked. It spoke. Why does the room move? The voice was not actually unpleasant, but its single eye stared at Alban, making him uncomfortable. He told himself not to blow up. Calm. Calm. The room moves because it moves, he said, a little too quickly. Because the masters tell it to move. What do you want to know for? I want to learn, the Albert said calmly. Well, don't ask questions, Alban said. He kept one eye on the shifting mob. If there's anything good for you to know, you'll be told. Meanwhile, just don't ask any questions. The Albert looked downcast. Can I learn without questions? Alban's control snapped. Damn, you'll learn what you have to, he yelled. You don't have to ask questions. You're a slave. A slave. Get that through your green head and shut up. The tone had two effects. First, it made the Albert near him move back, staring at him still with that single bright eye. Second, the other started for the elevator, apparently pushed more by the tone than the words. A master was angry. That, they judged, meant trouble. Acceding to his wishes was the safest thing to do. And so, in little frightened bunches, they went in. When they were all clear of the door, Alban and Durbin stepped in, too and the doors slid shut. Durbin took a second to mutter secretly, You don't have to lose your temper. You're on a hell of a thin edge this morning. Alban flicked his eyes over the brown face, the stocky, stolid figure. So I'm on a thin edge, he said. Aren't you? Training is training, Durbin said. Got to put up with it, because what can you do about it? Alban grinned wryly. I told somebody else that last night, he said. Man named Dodd. Hell, you know Johnny Dodd. Told him he needed some fun. Holy jumping beavers. Fun. Maybe you need some, Durbin said. 
Not like last night, I don't, Albin said, and the elevator door opened. Now others took over, guiding the Alberts to their individual places on the training floor. Each had a small room to himself, and each room had a spy TV high up in a corner as a safeguard. But the spy eyes were just as much good as the beams, Albin thought. They were useless precautions. Rebellion wasn't about to happen. It made more sense, if you thought about it, to worry the way Johnny Dodd worried about the Confederation, against which spy eyes and Belbus beams weren't going to do any good anyhow. And nothing was going to happen. Nothing, he told himself firmly, was going to happen. Nothing. The Alberts were shunted off without trouble. Albin, heaving a small sigh, fixed the details of his next job in his mind. Quality control in a smelting process. It took him a few seconds to calm down and get ready, and then he headed for room six, where one Albert waited for him, trying to think only of the job ahead and not at all of the party, of Dr. Hanlogen, of Johnny Dodd, of rebellion and war. He nearly succeeded. When he opened the door, the Albert inside turned, took a single look at him, and said, I do not mean to make masters troubled. Albin said, What? I do not ask questions now. Albin blinked and then grinned. Oh, he said, you're the one. Damn right you don't ask questions. You just listen to what I tell you. Got that? I listen, the Albert said. Albin shut the door and leaned against it. Okay, he said. Now, the first thing, you come over here and watch me. He went to the far side of the room, flicked on the remote set, and waited for it to warm up. In a few seconds, it held a strong, steady picture. A single smelter, a ladle, an expanse of flooring. I see this when you teach me before, the Albert said in almost a disappointed tone. I know, Albin said. Routine was taking over and he felt almost cheerful again. There was a woman working in the food labs in Building 2. He noticed her a few times in the past weeks. Now he thought of her again, happily. Maybe tonight. This time I'm going to show you what to do, he told the Albert, and swept a hand over a row of buttons. In the smelter, metal began to heat. The job was simple enough. The metal, once heated, had to be poured out into the ladle which acted as a carrier to take the stuff on to its next station. The only critical point was the color of the heated liquid, and the eyes of Alberts and humans saw the same spectrum, with perhaps a little more discrimination in the eyes of the Alberts. The Albert had to be taught to let the process go unless the color was wrong, when a series of buttons would stop everything and send a quality alarm into men's quarters. A machine could have done the job very easily, but machines were expensive, and Albert could be taught in a week. And this one seemed to learn more quickly than most. It grasped the idea of button-pushing before the end of the day, and Albin made a mental note to see if he could speed matters up, maybe by letting the Albert have a crack at actually doing the job on its own by day four or five, instead of day six. "'You learn fast,' he said, when work was finally over, he felt both tired and tense, but the thought of relaxation ahead kept him nearly genial. I want to learn, 
the Albert said. Good boy, Albin said absently. What's your name? Cadnan. End of chapter 6